0: Welcome to our mindfulness podcast. Each week or so, we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gassho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and, and uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, we focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with ga And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today uh, with our program. Thank you very much.
1: We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered, with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, It's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from 1 to 10. Inhale deeply. Let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go. Please put your hands together in gashou. Bow. Namo amidabutsu. Namo amidabutsu. Namo amidabutsu. namandabutsu, Namandabutsu. Namandabutsu. Namandabutsu.
2: You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world. Waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell. Please put your hands together in gassho and bow. Namo Amidabhutsu, Namo Amidabhutsu, Namo Amidabhutsu, Namo Amidabhutsu,
0: Namo All right, this completes our standing meditation. Uh, please return to your seats and we'll prepare for our second seated meditation. Again, uh, posture is the same. Uh, try to have a nice straight back, shoulders relaxed. Um, eyes half open, half closed, Uh, breathing down into your stomach using your diaphragm. Um, Place your hands uh, in front of your lower abdomen and we will begin our second seated meditation at the sound of the bell. Please join me in Gassho. Nam dots Nam dots Nam dots Nam dots Nam dots
1: We will now have sutra chanting. A sutra is a sacred scripture from Buddhism. These originated long ago in India and in China. The text that we chant is actually Chinese, a translation from Sanskrit originals. Is it necessary to understand the meaning of what we're chanting? Of course, not at the outset. We don't know anything about it when we first begin. But I believe that we should aim to understand what the sutra is teaching us. We should have a basic awareness of its content. These are the teachings of our Shin Buddhist tradition, after all. For that reason, we provide in the Shin Buddhist service book some pages of explanation and some English translations. What we experience by chanting, I would say, has three aspects. The first aspect is meditative like sitting, or standing, or breathing. Chanting forces us to focus our attention on the present moment, and it helps to calm our minds. Second, there is a ritual aspect. We are reenacting something that's taken place countless times over the centuries. We are connecting with the many followers of our Buddhist tradition who have chanted these same words. And we are gaining a sense of oneness with the other people are chanting at this time, perhaps listening to this podcast. Third, there is a learning aspect. This is to gain a little bit of knowledge of what the meaning of the characters that we chant are. And we do that separately, I would say, from actual chanting.
2: We will now chant the Juni Dai found on page 49. Juni Dai or 12 Verses of Reverence, originated in the Mahayana tradition of India during the time of the Pure Land Master Nagarjuna, around 150 CE. The verses were later translated into the Chinese text that we chant today. Like the Larja Sutra and the Amida Sutra, the text of Junirai describes the spiritual qualities of Amida and the Pure Land using poetic language. Please read the translation of the Junirai found on page 51 which describes in detail what the twelve verses of reverence actually means. We will now chant the
3: Junirai. army
2: Please put your hands together in gassho and bow. Namuami Davuts, Namoami Davuts, Namoamidavuts, Namoamidavuts, Namoamidavuts.
1: A good definition for reality is that which doesn't go away, even if I don't believe in it. A nightmare produces anxiety or fear, and although it seems real, it disappears when I wake up or I may worry about some future event, but the event never actually takes place. When my worry or my nightmare goes away, I am relieved to find that it was not reality. Suppose I have a negative experience, such as being seriously injured, which makes me say, I cannot believe I did something that dumb. I refuse to believe what happened, but it does not go away I desperately wish that I had not been injured, but my desires are brought up short by reality. This is how we grow from childhood into adulthood. We recognize that our desires are in conflict with a reality that does not go away. We learn as well that the future cannot be influenced simply by wishing for a certain event to happen. At times, I refuse to believe in an idea, because it conflicts with my desires. It's fine to be skeptical, but when there is a preponderance of evidence in favor of that idea, I ought to accept it for the time being. Take the idea that life forms, including humans, have arisen by evolution through natural selection, and that they will eventually go extinct as new species arise, Today there is so much evidence for the evolution of species that it ought to be as obvious as the law of gravity. Yet almost half of American adults reject this explanation of life on Earth. They want the reality of nature to go away because nature manifests a truth that undermines their illusions. For the same reason, the church put scientist Galileo Galilei on trial for presenting evidence contradicting the doctrine that the earth is the center of the universe. As another example of desires in conflict with reality, there is the belief that society should take a hands-off approach on the issues of human overpopulation and overconsumption. In the 1980s, This became the official policy of the U.S. government, namely, that population growth and resource consumption should not be constrained. Nevertheless, nature imposes mandatory limits. According to credible projections, the human population will reach a maximum around the middle of the 21st century, followed by a major decline in our numbers owing to resource depletion environmental degradation, and the resulting social chaos. The reality is that a collapsing biosphere will not accommodate the desire of our species to grow and to consume without limit. Buddhism teaches us about realities that don't go away, even though we want things to be otherwise. We cling to people and possessions that we know and love, and we want them not to change, When the Buddha says that all conditioned things are impermanent, we are brought face to face with reality. Even if I refuse to accept it, the world continues to evolve and change without my approval. Shinran's teaching, too, is one that I would rather not accept. As he stated, We are full of ignorance and blind passion. Our desires are countless, and anger, wrath, jealousy and envy are overwhelming, arising without pause. To the very last moment of life, they do not cease or disappear or exhaust themselves. I would like to think that Shinran was describing himself, but not me. However, the Shin Buddhist path is one of recognizing that his statement does apply to me, of recognizing that my greed, anger and ignorance are a reality that does not go away. I might think that greed, anger, and ignorance are standing in the way of liberation, and so I desire to eliminate them. In Shinran's terms, this desire arises from the calculating mind or the mind of self-power. This mind seeks to deny a reality that does not go away Shin Buddhist teachings are pointing us toward a path on which our desires are transcended. The poisons of greed, anger, and ignorance remain intact, but amazingly, they are no longer an obstacle to liberation. The reality of our passions is what teaches us to be humble. Thank you for listening.
2: Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church.
0: This program is copyright 2022 by the Orange County Buddhist Church and I'm California, USA. All rights reserved.